For our YouTube viewers, a different setup of the Pope household here. And that is because I wanted to showcase the Farwell for Hire shirt just a little more as this will be our final podcast recording in the month of May. So we started off with the same way we've started off every podcast in the month of May. Hey, Farwell, what'd you do today? <laughs> First of all, I didn't look as good as you, my friend. That's what I didn't do today. Look that good. It's the setup. It's because your face is on my shirt. That's why you're saying that. Kind of. Yeah. <laughs> if I may be so vain as to put it that way. Absolutely. And I'm going to be perfectly honest with you, Popper, because there is no BS in this fundraising campaign, this goofy idea that came to me in 2014. Hey, what if I offered to do something for somebody in exchange for a donation to cystic fibrosis? It's legit. I do the things that people ask to have done, like mow grass, like weed gardens, like paint houses, like dismantle sheds, like you name it. I have done it. And there are times where the work is as legit as it sounds like this past weekend, we had a scorcher of a heat wave for the long weekend. And it's the perfect weekend to enjoy some wobbly pops with your friends. And here in Ontario, you could have four of those friends in your backyard. It was all great. And I was busting my ass, pardon my French, but full on busting it today. My friend, the furthest thing from, let me tell you, let me tell you. Let me guess you delivered a mattress. You went to a house sale and you spoke. Uh, one out of three ain't okay. bad. I've, I've already delivered the mattress. I've done a few of the house sales because David Schooley, who's with Remax here in the region of Waterloo, is donating $1,000 to our campaign for every house he sells. I've been to five of those. Can't wait to cash that big check. Uh, but today I did speak. That was the end of my day. It started in Cambridge. So after I finished my talk show on 570 News, I booted down to Cambridge to a company called DDS Automated Machinery Design. I had never heard of them before. And this is a company under 30 employees, so a small business that has every year gathered toys for our annual toy drive through the radio station. Well, because of COVID, the Salvation Army, which collects the toys, couldn't do it this past year. But this company still collected toys and dropped off on their own. Salvation Army was thrilled. And the company gets this idea, we want to do more. We want to be more involved in our community. So somehow, some way, they got wind of our campaign. They sent an email and explained this. Did the toy drive want to do more in the community? We're looking for that thing. And we've decided Farwell for Hire is that thing. The email says, we don't really have a token job for you to do around our plant. So we're just going to write you a check for (laughs) $5,000. Will you come and pick it up? Perfect. Yeah. So that's what I did today. Easy job. (laughs) Drove to Cambridge, picked up a $5,000 check from DDS, Automated Machinery Design. Darren McCready, Mm -hmm. uh, the GM over there. Great guy. Great team. I got to meet, collected Mm $5,000. Then it was off to the University of Waterloo. And what we usually do there annually is have a golf tournament out at Westmount. Remember those golf tournaments we used to be able to have? Yeah, I do. Golf games. So it's an annual fundraiser for... Uh, I was out yesterday. For, of course. Well, we're allowed now. That's okay. Yeah, exactly. Uh, the annual fundraiser for student athletes at the University of Waterloo raised more than a million dollars over its first 19 years. And of course, we couldn't be on the golf course. So we did something. I keep saying we, it's the university. And they, they have me emcee their event every year. I don't play golf because I'm terrible at it. But I go, I eat dinner, I talk. 
they did it virtually this year. They asked if I could help MC the virtual event. So I went, I got to be on location, which was neat. It was, I got to go inside a building. It's a massive building, the physical activities complex at the University of Waterloo. But anyway, I talked, I helped do this panel discussion, had a great time, learned a bunch and they cut me a check and I came home. So go collect a check, go talk and collect a check. That was my day, my friend. In my history with you, I can say that I believe there is only two people in this world that like to talk as much as you, and that is Sherry Basson and Greg Brady. <laughs> yes, you're not wrong. You're not wrong. I, so I, I, it seems I, like a pretty easy day for you. I'll consider myself in good company with those two. <laughs> <laughs> so that's why I'm repping the, uh, the black and gold UW Warriors uh, golf shirt today for those of you watching on YouTube. And if you're not, I'm wearing a golf shirt from the University of Waterloo Warriors. Go black, go gold. Of course, you can find us on YouTube at OHL Stories with Farwell and Pope. Just type in OHL Stories. It pops up. Every episode we've done so far is up there, I believe. So uh, go and take a look. And you can always follow us on Twitter at Farwell underscore OHL and myself at underscore Chris Pope. And finally, Mike, as the month trails to an end, one last touch on Farwell for hire. Um, If people are seeing this shirt and they're hearing this story, we're a couple minutes into the podcast. It is wrapping up soon but there's a huge 50 50 available and you don't have to be in person or even from KW to get uh, your tickets and be a part of it. How do they find it? It's like you read my mind because we're talking to a bunch of junior hockey fans. We've seen the 50 50 draws in rinks. You and I buy all the time. We never win, but we are going to encourage you to win this one. If you go to Rangers 5050.com, that's the Kitchener Rangers uh, nonprofit charitable arm that manages all of the stuff that they do in the community. Rangers Reach is the backbone behind this because they have the licenses and stuff. So go to rangers5050.com, buy yourself a ticket. The number you're going to see when you go to rangers5050.com is about $46,000 as we record this. Huge. That's your share. The other 46,000 has already been cut off for cystic fibrosis and we want to get that jackpot growing. So anywhere in Ontario that you're listening to this right now, or if you're listening somewhere else, but you have a friend in Ontario that can buy the tickets for you, nudge, nudge, wink, wink, rangers5050.com, get a chance at a huge jackpot and you're helping cystic fibrosis research along the way. Here's what we'll offer. Farwell and Pope at gmail.com. If you're listening and you're not from Ontario and you want tickets, shoot us an email. We'll make sure we get someone to get you some tickets. If you know what I mean, I don't know if we're allowed to say that, Just but we'll, we'll figure it out. And if you win, we'll <laughs> figure out how to wire transfer $46,000 or more, probably or more. more. Yeah. Yeah. It, well, it definitely will be more. And uh, again, that's 46 for you, 46 for Farwell for hire, which goes towards finding a cure or control for cystic fibrosis. None of the money goes to the Rangers. Just want to point it out. Yeah, good point. Because you don't want to have 19 other OHL cities mad. I'm not giving my money to that stinking blue and red team. Exactly, no. exactly. exactly. And I don't blame them. Uh, two Rangers did make the AHL all-rookie team. Did you see that? Adam Maskren and Riley Damiani, both playing with the Texas Stars. Both were on the same line all year. Sometimes coaching can be so difficult, can it? Listen, and sometimes it can be so easy. Sometimes All these two played together in Kitchener and had <laughs> success together. Why don't we try it again? And lo and behold, it works. Sometimes you can just uh, keep those blue and red glasses on too, can't you? Because let's not forget Connor McMichael, former London Knight, also named to the AHL All-Rookie Team. Right. I want to point out, sorry, Riley was named to the AHL All-Rookie Team with Connor. Adam already been in the league. He was named to the All-Division Team with Riley. Anyway, just uh, want to by point the that way, out. I'll, I'll also point this out. Damien, he's too small. He's never going to make it. 
Yep. There you go. Yep. I tell. I never said he was too small. He wasn't going to make it, but no, many not, people have. Yeah, that's yeah. why I'm, I'm not saying okay, you. Gotcha. I'm just. Yeah, yeah, that's that was the that was the book on Damiani when he came into the OHL, yeah. and I think it's still the book on Damiani, and he, Damiani just keeps going like Damiani has been going. I shot my mouth off in his rookie season about how many goals he'd score throughout his time in the OHL. Lost that bet to you. He heard about it. I keep telling him to prove me wrong. So dumbest bet you made. Did you, yeah. I think, did Hands you top down. out at 20 or 25? 25. 25. 25. Yeah. yeah. And, but that's, that's the thing. Like this was I look like a was fool it, now. Was it his rookie year or his sophomore? Either way you said, I think it was his second year. And you said in his career, he would not reach 25 in a season. I thought, yeah. Oh, well, boy, then it must've been right at the start of the second year. Cause it was, it was made in the uh, uh, press room at the odd. <laughs> so I remember yeah. the, the bad ones. I was happy to take that money. Yeah, happy to take it. it. Yeah. Uh, some major news out of Flint, Mike. Hopey. Listen, I've, it's, it's, it's a little bit too coincidental to not find some fire behind this smoke. So first, it's Barkley Branch, the general manager and, and the architect of the team that you and I were both really interested to watch down the stretch of the season that came to a crashing end in March of 2020, right? Mm-hmm. The Firebirds, we, we wanted to see a playoff game in the Dort. The Firebirds were coming around. I mean, everything just seemed to be falling into place. They had it they were certainly competitive and, and Barkley branch. Yes, that branch family, but was the architect of that team. And, and another key part of it. And you and I have had him on the podcast before Eric Wellwood, the head coach who knows a thing or two about winning <laughs> and knows a thing or two about the Ontario hockey league and developing talent. And first it's branch, then it's Wellwood. And you're thinking what the, what, Oh, the five-year ban on owner Rolf Nilsson is about to expire. Okay. I mean, I'm sorry, but okay. Yeah. You brought, you brought that to my attention. And I just think where, where there's smoke, there's fire, right? Yeah. I, Isn't that what there is? Like, I don't, I don't want to put it all on, on Rolf and how much I, I, I have no idea about how much input he obviously is still taking with this team or now that this band is over how, or what he was allowed to do during the band, whatever. I don't know. I just know the Flint Firebirds just lost two great hockey minds. And for a program that has made so many strides over the last two to three years under, well, two years under Eric Wellwood, like he came in there and he was coaching university hockey to get a head coaching job in the Ontario Hockey League after coaching university hockey for not long. And to be honest, I, I may be wrong and I'm sorry, Welly, if I am, but I don't even think he was a head coach when he was coaching university hockey to then get the, the ball in Flint and to do what he did with that ball. Eric Wellwood should have about 19 other teams calling him in the next 30 minutes. My guess. Like you just want that guy who, whether he's on your bench or as an associate or as like an advisor, whatever job he wants and is available. I think he's got to be a front runner. Doesn't he? He's he's young, but what he did with that team and all the, the way the players talked about him and the way the players bought into his system and everything that he did in that organization, he won't be without a job for long. That's a great point. I don't think he will. And it's interesting. You say, He's young, but because our guest on this podcast, I'll put it nicely, is not young, but That's recognizes rude. the direction that the league is moving. And he's going to talk about that when you hear from our guest in this episode coming up in just a few minutes. I know you want to talk about Terry Christensen, Popper, but let me just go back to. For I was just going to point out that just that they had a new president this year, too. So there's going to be a whole lot of new faces in Flint. He's, he's familiar with the team, but there's going to be a whole lot of new faces with that organization heading into this year. 
Yeah, and that's what I was going to say. He's a new old president, right? Yeah. He, he left the team in 18, and now he's he's back as Branch and, and Wellwood depart. But here's the thing. Look, I don't know Rolf Nilsson at all. I could walk into the Dort Federal Event Center for a game and pass him in the concourse, and I wouldn't know it's him. All I know is what happened the first time around and what led to his five-year well, I called it a ban before we can use a different term like suspension from any hands-on involvement with the team, whatever the case is, we know it's expiring. I believe in second chances. I really do. I don't think one mistake or one incident defines you as a person. So because I don't know the person at all, okay. He, if you don't remember the story in Flint, it got so bad, his insistence on his son being played because he was convinced that his son was going to the National Hockey League. And the best way to get his son to the National Hockey League was to buy an Ontario Hockey League franchise and force the coach to play son. And the team balked, the coaching staff balked. And eventually there was there was a, a revolt of, of sorts from the players who walked into management's office and handed in their sweaters, including Rolf's own son in solidarity with the players. That was, that's a monster move for a young man. Anyway, it was a mess. The, the meddling was too much. The league steps in. Now the five years is up. I'll, I'll grant the man his, his second chance. I don't know what he's like. I don't know what it's going to be like in Flint, but to your point a moment ago, it's, it's a real shame that they're losing certainly a very good young hockey man in behind the bench and by all accounts Barclay Branch was doing himself a whale of a job as well think about the trades Barclay Branch made last year there you go like that was a team that there were plenty of people putting money down on the line that they were walking their way to them to the Memorial Cup like there was people picking them to win an OHL championship last year that's how good they were and you know you don't get you don't hear a lot of talk about them because I think just because they're stateside and because they're Flint and they had everything that went on in the early years, they were just trying to get over that hump. And it seemed like they had, and then this happens. It sucks for the team. It sucks for the franchise because you lose a guy like Eric Wellwood and Barclay branch on the whole Rolf side. I'm giving them every benefit of the doubt because family was involved before people do messed up things when family's involved. I get it. I'll give you a break because of what he's done even before and after that. Take a look at that dressing room. The facilities they have, we got a behind-the-scenes view. It is phenomenal. It is next level, like top of the league next level. To then put money into the actual arena, redoing all those seats this this past during this COVID process, splashing the money in there without knowing when the next game is going to be played and so on and so forth. I'm giving them every benefit of the doubt. And I hope the Flint Firebirds organization keeps on rolling, but you throw in their media relations, play-by-play. I'm sure he has 800 different titles, but Dom leaving too. We've talked about Dom, uh, Dom Henning on this podcast before. Him leaving too. That's three big pieces out of that organization that have left heading into the next season. Look, let's be honest. You and I are broadcasters for the Kitchener Rangers, so there's going to be a bias and homerism that comes with that even though we honestly do try to keep it in check i'm reminded though of when i worked alongside don cameron and he'd do pre-game interviews across the hall as we call it on our pre-game show on 570 news before rangers games and he'd oftentimes because don had been around for so long catch up with players he had known from before or players he'd talked to earlier in their career and he'd always tell them you know have a good game but not tonight 
because of course they were playing against the Rangers. I, I say that just by way of the, the bias that might come with it, but you and I, we want to see every team succeed. We were genuinely excited to think about the playoff atmosphere in that arena. It's too bad for the fans in Flint. Hopefully this doesn't change their trajectory. And again, if, if all 20 teams could win every year, what a fun thing. It, well, that wouldn't be much fun, would it? But you get what I mean. We just we want to see teams succeed when it's their turn in the cycle. And, and uh, Flint was, was right there knocking on the door. I try to remain unbiased as possible. The only reason in the back of, of, the back of my mind um, that, I, that I, if you will, want the Rangers to succeed is because then I work longer. <laughs> it That's comes it. right down to that, yeah. That's it. I get more, pay, more of a paycheck. <laughs> The longer we work and I've never been to a Memorial cup. So I want to do one. Like that's the only reason, you know, I cheer for 18 other teams in this league too. Absolutely. Yeah. 18. I see what you did there. No, the I Rangers. got it. Yeah. You did. You didn't uh, have to make say it, it twice. I, yeah. I know, but some people might not have picked up on it. So wait a minute, Popper, you mean there's, there's been a team that left the league? No, not that's no, not what I just meant. want people to realize that I know there are 20 teams in this league. Um, and any, any listener to this podcast knows I have spoke at length that I think Flint would be the best playoff barn in this league if they got it hopping. That long walk you have to take underneath what seems like the bowels of an arena that was built as a prison, just cement everywhere. It's dark. You got to walk by all this stuff. And the history with the Flint generals and all of that, I just think that barn if it's popping and it is full, I couldn't imagine. I, like that, that would be my favorite rink, I think, other than the odd. I just, I hope to see it someday. And I hope that they continue on the path that Barclay and Eric have led them down. So speaking of history, we have a coach with a long history in the Ontario Hockey League joining us on this week's podcast. His most recent history is a championship overseas in a place that you won't believe they're even playing hockey, much less winning championships, but they did under this guy's guidance. I got to know him best during his days in Sarnia. And I will say only this, because he was, his, his previous OHL experience came just before I came into the league on a regular basis. But this man, the man that I knew, let me just say, that the man we meet on this podcast is far different from the guy I ever met in a rink. And that's not a knock. He was never, you know, unkind to me in any way. He just had a demeanor about him. His game face was on, let's say. And I was younger and newer to the game. And so our encounters were always just that, you know, hi, this, what do you need? Move on with life. I did not know. And I, I texted somebody whose name comes up a couple of times in this podcast when we were done. And I said, I'd never heard and I didn't know the man laughed like that. And her response is, oh, he's got the best laugh. And anyway, I'll leave it to you. You always do such a good job of introing these guests, Popper. But this was uh, that's how I just wanted to my way of introduction to this guy. This guy that we meet on the podcast is far different than the guy I knew behind the bench when I covered him in Sarnia. How's Sanaya doing, by the way? She's great. <laughs> she, how could she not be? Right? She just, she's a terrific sports writer and she's doing sports writing things. And as you'll hear, she's a good friend of Dave McQueen, who started his Ontario Hockey League journey as a player under Brian Kilray for the Ottawa 67s. He tells the story, but he started off as a defenseman. Killer said, yeah, no, you're not doing that. Not in my end. You're now a winger. And played two seasons in Ottawa before Killer had enough of them and shipped them up to Sudbury, which is a little far from his home in Woodstock. 
Then he came back into the league as a coach in Peterborough after some time in Junior B and Junior C, won an OHL championship with the Peterborough Peets, hosted the Memorial Cup that year as well in Peterborough, goes off to the National League, then back to Erie, from Tampa to Erie, won a championship though with the Otters, some brief time in Sarnia, and now, as Mike just alluded to, coming off a championship which makes him a king in Romania. Ladies and gentlemen, Dave McQueen. I thought we'd kind of start right where we, or you anyway, left off, because you're currently finishing your quarantine in Atlantic Canada, having yeah. returned from Romania, where you won the Romanian championship. So I know this is OHL stories, but let's tell the tale, Dave, of how a kid from Woodstock, Ontario, ends up coaching for the Romanian championship. Well, you know, that, that, that is a long story. It, it first started when I left Sarnia, uh, you, you know, I guess that would be seven, nine, about 10 years ago. And, you know, a friend of mine who you've had on the show, Paul Henry, uh, I ran into him at a game in Mississauga, I believe it was. And going back a little bit, I don't want to jump all over the place, but he, started out before he got into psychology as a player agent. And I ran into him and I hadn't seen Paul for years. My son was playing for Windsor at the time and I was just going to games. We were actually living in Kitchener at the time. So it was close. I was kind of in the middle of everything. And I said, Hey, Paul, I said, you owe me like two weeks before the NHL draft in my draft year, you call me and tell me, you're getting out of the agent business and he was going to be my agent. So anyways, long, long story short, uh, you know, he took it to heart. I was just kidding around with him and he ended up uh, knowing he was working for Salzburg in Austria at the time. And Salzburg was, is one of the best teams there. They have a ton of money and him and Pierre Paget were working there. And he says, you know what? There's a team, uh, a new team coming into the Austrian league called Dornburn. I go, okay. And he goes, why don't you call them? I go like, call who? And so he gives me a phone number and he's been talking to him and, and you got to understand a lot gets lost in translation when you go to Europe, especially when you're dealing with GMs that, you know, aren't really GMs. They're more the financial guys. So I'm talking to this, uh, GM, uh, slash president, slash finance, slash everything. And to this day, we're still very good friends. We left on very good terms. But, and I say, you know, he says, well, why do you want to come to Austria? I said, well, you know, I've been thinking of coming to Europe now. I'm kind of done in junior. And and he goes, uh, well, uh, okay, uh, you know, send me your resume. So I sent him my resume and everything. And, you know, don't hear anything. Call Paul back two weeks later. He comes, uh, he, he calls me. And he goes, okay, you know, I, I like your resume. Uh, you know, it looks good. You got a lot of experience. We're a first-year team, explained everything to me. And I go, okay, uh, so what's the process now? He goes, well, I'll get back to you. So I get off the phone, talk to my wife. I said, it looks like we're going to Austria. About two weeks later, I don't hear anything. I said, uh, Nancy, I don't think we're going to Austria. So <laughs> anyways, long story short, we ended up going there. I ended up staying there for seven years because of Paul Henry getting me in contact with this guy. And then we, we parted on great terms, uh, seven years. We all know that coaches have a shelf life. So get done in Austria, come home, 
kind of a sad story. Uh, when I fly in in April, uh, almost two years ago, uh, find out my mom and dad were very healthy. Um, and within two weeks, I lost both my parents. So I'm going, well, you know what? It's probably a good thing I don't have a job coming up here in the fall. And then around November, get a call from my agent. He says, Brashoff in Romania is looking for a coach. I go, okay, well, I don't hear anything from my agent for like three months. Call him up, say like, what happened? He goes, well, they didn't call me. I said, well, aren't you supposed to call them back? <laughs> so, so about a week later, agent calls me again, says, yeah, they're making a change. I go, they're making a change. It's like middle of February. He goes, yeah, they're starting the playoffs tomorrow or in three days. <laughs> they're, they're getting rid of their coach and they're, they're sitting in like third place. And I'm going, okay, <laughs> whatever. So I, you know, jump on a plane, get over there. Literally had one day of practice. We're starting the playoffs. Things don't go well. We lose in game seven of the first round uh, to a, a pretty good team. And I figured it was kind of a rehearsal. They were looking for a coach. Things got shut down right away. I was there a month, uh, flew back home, and they said before I left, we'll be talking. We want you to come back. Anyways, go back. Uh, have a fantastic year. Uh, you know, the players bought in. It kind of took me back to my roots of junior hockey. The Romanian, I know it, it sounds funny, but there's some good players in Romania. they just never been taught the game. And you're allowed uh, as many, well, you're allowed to play six imports, but you could have 10 on your roster if you want to just swap them in and out. So, you know, there's a North American flavor to it. Uh, I knew some of the guys that were there and uh, it was, it was the best year in their organization. We, we actually play in two leagues. There's a Hungarian league and a Romanian league. So in normal times, these guys play like hundred games a year with both leagues. And I'm going, this is crazy. So anyways, we finished in first place in the Hungarian league, finished in per first place in the Romanian league, and we end up playing a team from Romania in the finals of the Hungarian league. So the Hungarians were very happy with us. <laughs> you know, they're going, oh, we're in the Hungarian league, and you got two Romanian teams in the finals. So we lost in six games to them in the finals. We had beaten that same team at Christmas in the Romanian cup, which is like a... It's just a, a round robin. You play each team once, top two teams go to the finals. We beat them in that. And then we had to play them again in the Romanian championship, which was a best of five. They were up two nothing on us. Guys dug deep. We came back, won three straight and won the national championship. And for them, uh, it's like us putting on the Maple Leafs. The, the Romanian championship was huge for them uh, as compared to the Hungarian league. They, they, yeah, sure, they wanted to win it, but if you can win the Romanian championship, that's like winning the Stanley Cup. I don't know if we've ever had somebody who coached in Romania on the podcast. So. <laughs> I don't uh, think I knew anybody that coached in Romania. <laughs> what, what is it like in Romania? You know what? It, and I was glad I went in February. Uh, you know, getting back to the Austrian League, my GM wanted me to learn German and you know, be able to communicate in German and the people spoke broken English. So you could get by and there's no way this old brain was learning German. 
my wife tried for seven years with babble and all these things. And she got to a point where she could actually carry on a decent conversation. I got to a point where I could understand words. And so I knew if they were talking about me or not. So then I go to Romania and Romania is actually a very modern place. The place I was in Brashoff is about 400,000 people. And there's an old Brashoff, which is the city center, the old churches, things like that. Uh, new Brashoff was where all the players stayed. The apartments are very modern and everybody literally speaks English uh, and very good English. So it, I was very comfortable going there. And uh, the only thing I missed was I didn't have a barbecue. So, you know, in Austria, I was allowed to have a barbecue. Romania, I didn't. How much did you have to adapt your coaching style? Well, you know what? I, I, I've had to adapt since I've been doing it. Um, you, know, I, you know, I was a stubborn guy. Uh, you know, I listened to Killer's uh, interview with you guys. and You know, I was, I, I tell all my players at the start of the year, I'm loud. It doesn't mean I'm yelling at you. And some players could digest that. Some players couldn't. And it was, uh, you know, over the years, if you don't adapt, you're not going to be in the business. And, and I feel very, very fortunate. Uh, I think this was my 28th year from when I was in Peterborough being a head coach uh, and only with five organizations, basically. So I feel very fortunate. So I, I think I've done a decent job at it. You know, every year I sit down and go, okay, where, where did I make some mistakes? Where did I, where do I have to get better? And I'm still a little old school. I can still, you know, be boisterous. Uh, I, I try not to get personal. Um, but, you know, there's times where, yeah, I get in guys' faces. And then at the end of the night, I go, why did I do that? You know, so, you know, I, it's a learning curve every year. You, you mentioned his name and that getting in people's faces and yelling at players doesn't sound like killer at all. Uh, <laughs> well, that line, that line he used about playing right wing for him or left wing for, uh, for them. He used that on me when I played for him. <laughs> what was it like as a player when you walk into the Ottawa 67s organization and there is Brian Kilray. Well, at that time, you know, again, showing, showing my age and everything, but you know, I think killer wasn't in it very long at that time. Um, so it was a little intimidating, um, but you know, like he said, and, and I'll agree, you were very comfortable walking in there because of the way they handled you before you even got there. You knew kind of what to expect and, and how to go about your business. And, you know, uh, it, it was the transition for, for me was actually, was actually pretty de decent. What was he like as a coach? Sorry, Farsi. Uh, if you know what, uh, I, I think I, I kind of, you take a little bit out of every coach you played for and, and things like that. And I think I took a lot out of him. <laughs> he was, he, he was, he was hard, but you know what? He was fair. He was fair. He, he, he just wanted you to compete. And 
if you compete and you're, you know, he uses the word honest, honesty. And, and I think I've, I've taken that from him to uh, uh, that, you know, if you're honest with the players and you, and you tell them, you know, I, I kind of tell my players once in a while, you know, you might not like what you hear, but you know, it's going to be the truth. And that was killer. You know, he, he, he was fair. He, he would give you an opportunity. Actually, I went there as a defenseman and he changed me into a right winger. So, you know, he, he gave me the opportunity to play there with a lot of really good players. And uh, when, when I went back into that building and he was still coaching and I was coaching against him, that, that to me was, was fantastic. Like you look across there and he would, it was like he didn't have a care in the world. I, I know he was prepared. I know he's, he's a legend. He's, he's a great coach, but you know, Hey, Mac, how you doing? You know, me before the game, after the game, Hey, come on over for a beer. You know, like, it was just like game's over. It's done. Can't do anything about it. So, you know, there's lots to take from him. You talk about some of those great players you got to play with in Ottawa. I know this is about your coaching career, but when you're there, not only playing for killer, but, Bobby Smith, arguably one of the best to ever come through the league. Uh, what do you remember about him at that time? Well, he, he was just dominant. He was a dominant player. He had size, he had skill. Uh, and, he, you know, I think the year, uh, his only year that I played with him, um, obviously I didn't play on the same line as him, but uh, him and Gretzky were fighting it out for the scoring uh, title that year. And, you know, Bobby's a 19-year-old, and I think Gretzky was, I don't know, 16 or 17 at the time. So, you know, it was it was fun to watch and, you know, how these guys prepared themselves. And everyone knew. The thing that about Bobby Smith was if he didn't become an NHL hockey player, I, I believe he could have become a lawyer um, if, he, if he didn't uh, get his law degree. Um, he, he's so intelligent, and, you know, he was the captain of the hockey club. And as, as Bobby went, we went. Were the bus rides really just cigar smoke and Anne Murray? <laughs> <laughs> pretty much, pretty much. And a couple of cases of beer at the back for the veterans. So believe me, my rookie year, I got to know the veterans real well. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Um, how did you end up in Sudbury after your time in Ottawa? Well, you know, it, it was uh, killer might tell it a little different, <laughs> but uh, I had two years there, and they they drafted Jimmy Fox, uh, Yvonne Jolly, and I was a right winger, and I was going into my draft year, and I just didn't see me getting the opportunity to get enough ice time. So, you know, I, I Killer was good about it, uh, outside of the fact that he probably traded me as far away from Woodstock that he could. <laughs> but, you know, I went, I went to Sudbury uh, and talk about, you know, the star-studded lineup. I think like nine or ten of the guys off of that team ended up playing in the National Hockey League. Uh, so it was a great move for me. Um, and, you know, it was just one of those things that I felt I needed more ice time. My dad I had talked to quite a bit. He had played a long time in the American Hockey League. And, you know, he just said, do, do what you have to do. So that's what we did. One of those nine or ten guys from that Sudbury team that went on to the National Hockey League, Popper and I were chatting just before we came on today because we, we got to know about this guy as a teammate. And we also talked, Chris and I, about the fact that it might happen. We've been talking about Brian Kilray. This guy might, as an OHL coach, 
we think it's a, in, certainly within the realm of possibility that he surpasses the amount, amount of wins that Killer has. And uh, how many times they play the Rangers. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Obviously, Mac talking about uh, Dale Hunter, yeah. Sudbury, Wolf. What was well, he like then? You know what? He was my centerman. Uh, Dale and I played, and you know, I, I kid Dale you know, when, when we were coaching again, when I was in Sarnia and that, and he was starting out and I always kid Dale that I put him in the national hockey league, uh, <laughs> you know, he, but you know what? He was a rat. He was the way he played the national hockey league is exactly the way he played in the OHL. Uh, you know, he came, yeah, I think he got traded up from Kitchener. Um, but he was a, you know, we call him shitbirds. You know, he was just a, he, but we had a really tough guy, Bob Lacoon on our left wing. So, you know, Dale, Dale would start it. I'd kind of sneak in there a little bit, but Bobby would finish it up. So, uh, but fantastic, you know, fantastic player. We got, he was a year younger than me. Uh, we hung out a lot, obviously, because we played on the same line. And, uh, uh, you know, to this day, you know, I consider him a good friend. He has a bit of a, a reputation of being a little crusty, it seems. Was he like that as a young man? No. No, not at all. Not at all. I, I, I don't think any of us were like, I, you know, I, I think my crustiness as a coach came out way after I started stop playing. Um, but no, you know what? And if you see Dale away from the game, like, again, we talk about going to killer's office after a game in Ottawa, anytime, you know, whether we we're in, whether I was in Erie or Sarnia or whatever, we were always welcome in his office after a game. And literally it was hilarious because we, you know, we do our TV stuff real quick and we couldn't, you know, it couldn't have taken us more than five minutes to get over to his office after we addressed the team, did the TV stuff. He's literally out of his dress clothes, into his sweatpants, got a beer sitting on the table, you know, and then you, you just talk, you, you, you can talk hockey, you can talk whatever you want. And, uh, so away from the game, he's a competitor. He was a competitor as a player. He's a competitor as a coach. He wants to win, just like we all do. And when it's game on, it's game on. But when the game's done, uh, again, I keep referencing Killer. When the game's done, it's over. You can't do anything about it. So, you know, we've had a lot of good times in, in Dale and Mark's office. He's a damn good coach. Oh, he's yes. One of the best. Uh, you've done some winning yourself, not just Romanian championships, Mac. Let's go back to the first one in the Ontario Hockey League. And when I look back at that 96 Peterborough team, I, I see depth. I mean, behind the bench, maybe you saw something else, but it's a, it's a 35-win hockey club that goes to the <laughs> Memorial Cup final. What made that team tick? You know what? I, you know, obviously, you know, Jeff did a great job putting, you know, drafting the guys with his staff and everything and putting guys together. And it, we just clicked. Like, my first year there in Peterborough, uh, you know, it was Jeff's first year as a GM, my first year as a, you know, as a head coach in the OHL. I'd only been coaching for four years, I believe, in junior B and C before then. And, um, you know, they gave me an opportunity. And, you know, funny story about that first year. You know, we only won 15 hockey games that first year because they had just gone to the Memorial Cup the year before, lost just about everybody. We win 15. Thank God Newmarket was in the league because they only won 13 games, I think. We made the playoffs my first year. And there was a petition going around. Fire McQueen doesn't know what he's doing. He's, you know, he's got right out of junior B, blah, blah, blah. 
but you know what, Jeff and, and the ownership, they, they stuck with us and we, he had some great drafts and we kept those guys and Jeff wasn't known uh, to make a lot of trades. Uh, he knew what we needed uh, as far as, you know, toughness or skill. Uh, and, you know, one of the things I learned not only from Jeff, but other people when I'm, when I'm building hockey clubs in Europe is, you know, character is as big, if not more important. Everyone knows you need skill, but you, you need those character. You need that leadership group. And we just had a bunch of guys that year that, that just love coming to the rink. And yeah, we, we were middle of the pack, but we use the, the Memorial hosting of the Memorial cup as hopefully motivation and, uh, we didn't want to go in the back door because we were reading all the articles in the newspaper and, uh, you know, these guys don't deserve to host a Memorial Cup. They're not good enough. And we just kept reminding the guys we are good enough. And they were a close, close knit group. And it didn't matter if you're on the fourth line or the first line. No one cared who scored the goals, got the assists as long as we got the job done. What was it like in that city when you were hosting? Well, it was crazy. It, it was it was you know, we had parade, we had a, you know, parades and, uh, you know, Peterborough was such a hockey town or still, it still is. Um, and you couldn't go anywhere without somebody stopping to talk to you. And matter of fact, it got so bad during the Memorial cup, my assistant coach, Brian drum, he had a farm, he lived in Coburg. So he traveled back and forth, but he had a farmhouse in Peterborough and my wife had just like literally in game five of the finals against Guelph just had our third child. So he's, you know, he says, you got to get, you got to get away. You got to get out of this craziness in the city and, you know, new baby and all go to the farmhouse. So I lived at this farmhouse for 10 days by myself. Uh, Cause you know, it was just, it was mad. It was crazy mad. And they had, they had a great setup in the parking lot uh, with tents and, uh, you know, they show the game for people that couldn't get in and, you know, game six, <laughs> or not game six, um, the semifinal game uh, was, I'll never forget that game. It's the game that Sebastian Bach uh, from Skid Row, his brother was the goalie, Zach Burke, comes out. And, now, you, you guys have been to Peterborough. Yeah, maybe it's changed a little bit now. Nope, not it's, really. It's a pretty laid back, you know, maybe an older fan base. And so you got this guy, Sebastian Bach, coming out of the red carpet, swinging his mic. And he's going to sing the anthem. And he turns, he doesn't even face the queen. Is, that, is the old queen still hanging at the end? You know what? No, I don't think it is. She's gone. Okay. That's too well, bad. Yeah. Yeah. But so he doesn't even face the queen, which is the fans are going, what's going on? He turns around and faces his brother because he was our starting goaler. And literally, he sings a, like, it wasn't even rock and roll. It was, you know, real hard metal, O Canada. And I'm looking around in the stands and you, like it brought a laugh to my face, and the guys, the guys on the bench, it really loosened us up because the the looks on the fans and the stands are like, how, how can he do this? Like, who is this guy? Like, you know. <laughs> Anyways, 
you know, it was it was a great uh, it was it was a great way to uh, start that semifinal game. And uh, you know, I think some of the fans were shocked, but at the end of the night, we won, and they were all happy. We got to find that clip somewhere. It's got to oh, be around man. somewhere. <laughs> it, it, I tell you what, it's one of the best, funniest moments of my career. You mentioned his name a couple of times, Jeff. That would obviously be Tui. He was, I think, our second or third guest yeah. on this podcast. But uh, a guy that you see in so many rinks, he's one of the nicest guys you're ever going to meet. What, and we talked about, obviously, his journey up through the ranks, the general manager of the Peterborough Peets. And we know he loves the history so much. What was he like as a hockey mind? Oh, he, he's one of the best. Uh, you know, he just, you know, student of the game, uh, passion, you name it. Uh, he, he, he was definitely one of the best. And like I said, he was, it was his first year starting as GM, but he'd been with the organization since he was a teenager going to school up in Sudbury. So, um, you know, I, I relied on Jeff, my first, uh, certainly my first year and, and all three years I was in Peterborough, just, you know, bouncing things off him, but he was he wasn't an in your face guy. He, you know, if he had something to say and had some suggestions, we would talk about it, but he, he wasn't micromanaging uh, me at all. Cause he had, he had enough on his plate, but you know, I, to this day, Jeff and I are still good friends. We don't talk a lot, but you know, we'll, we'll talk once or twice a year. And it's, you know, when you see somebody or talk to somebody you haven't seen for a long time and the conversation just flows, you know, there's something special there. So I've got a lot of admiration for Jeff and, and what he's done in his career. And, uh, you know, I'm assuming he still wants to get back in it, which I can't believe hasn't happened yet, uh, but I'm sure it will. Sorry to jump all around. I use yeah. jump on I think purpose. I'm all around too, no, that's, all right. that's all right. <laughs> I use that, that expression on purpose because I want to jump back to Sudbury where in your season there, there was a guy jumping, I think, over 60 times after he scored, I'm sure. <laughs> Hey, and Mac that, had 60 tucks too. I know. That's yeah. I, 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 and Felino had to take 160 points that season. So <laughs> yeah, yeah. How, how good was he? <laughs> oh, well, you know, you talk about dominant players like Bobby Smith at the junior level. And, you know, we weren't, we weren't predicted to do anything in Sudbury that year, but, you know, I think you go back and look at that lineup and, uh, you know, Donnie Beaupre and Nat and our, our defense was big and strong and mobile and, and we had guys that could score and we we had we had enough tough guys but you know Fligger was he, he was the ultimate pro you knew he was gonna you know play in the National Hockey League for many many years and and end up coaching a little bit because he understood the game and you know he just uh he could play any way he wanted I think that's what made him effective he he could be that skilled guy that could take it from end to end or he could be an in-your-face guy and drop his mitts so you know he uh i don't remember him jumping a lot uh maybe i just kind of tuned that out after 60 times but uh you know he you know he he i think he was the ultimate player because like i say he could play any way he wanted I got to ask uh, one more on Peterborough because anybody that we have on this podcast that played for either Peterborough or was a part of Peterborough or Oshawa, probably the best rivalry the league still has. What do you remember about games versus the Oshawa generals and what they meant? Oh, you talk about craziness. Like, you know, people wouldn't care if you beat London or you beat Kitchener. Well, I shouldn't say they wouldn't care, but it wasn't high on the prior list, but if you lost to Oshawa, you, you must as well pack your bags and go home. Cause you know, it was that, 
that much of a rivalry and they were it was vicious it, they were wars um and obviously this is back you know before they put in the fighting rules and the game you know the standards of the calls have changed a little bit and uh but you knew <clears throat> I, I i always said to our players if you can play in oshawa you can play anywhere and we had some great battles and you know stan i think stan butler was the coach there in my last uh in my first two years in Peterborough and uh, uh, you know, they always had good hockey clubs too. And they played in that small barn. Um, he, I remember listening to one of your casts. You said, well, what do you consider a barn in the OHL? Well, that was one, the old Oshawa barn, but, and you know, they try and run the crap out of you and, and you know, bury you in the first 10 minutes. But, you know, Jeff was smart enough to, to get guys like Sean Thornton and Matt Johnson and, uh, so we weren't, we weren't going to be intimidated and, uh, you know, they were great. You talk, when I say vicious and they were a war, but it was good hockey. Like it was passionate and, and both, both cities, both teams bought into it. Peterborough Pete's obviously, uh, the greatest player to ever play the game. That's where he played his junior <laughs> career, Steve Eiserman. Um, I had to make, I had to, I'm sorry. He tries to get one in every podcast. Yeah. I was waiting. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we well, you mentioned Barnes, and I I pr- try to get this in every podcast. To, uh, I think too. Do you have a good Windsor story? Because oh, that Barnes saw some things, man. Well, you know, I don't know that I can really remember one as a coach. Um, outside of the fact that the fans there were crazy, but as a player, you'd, you'd skate behind the net and. Uh, in your end and they'd be throwing pennies at you over the glass and dumping beer on you. And I'm going, wow, this is hockey. Like, come on. But you know, as a, as a coach, I, I don't really remember. Yeah. I don't think they were that good. Um, when, when we were playing them. So uh, don't have a lot of great stories from Windsor, but the old Sarnia, uh, rink, uh, when I first started coaching Peterborough, they Sarnia didn't have their new rink and, and Mark Hunter was the coach in Sarnia at the time. And like, they had no glass behind the bench uh, and the fans, like they, they'd reach over and actually grab you. And literally they'd be yelling and screaming at you. And, uh, you know, I remember going in there and it was in the finals the, uh, the year that we went to the cup and, and Sarnia had, they were loaded. They were better than us. Um, but somehow we found a way to, they beat us, I think 11, one or something in the first game. And I'm going, okay then like this isn't gonna this is gonna work out real good then we came back next game and won a, a close one but my, I remember going in in there and my assistant coach Sarnia they would they would bury a quarter or a lucky dollar or something at center ice and we found that out so my assistant coach Brian Drum I don't know if you know Drummy but you know, he was a big strong tough guy too so you know I'm, I'm in the hallway down below before the game and, and I go where's Drummy and one of the players goes oh, he's on the ice I go He's on the ice. He's out there with a stick trying to dig this coin out of center ice. And and here comes Mark under the bench on the other side. And I'm going, oh, this is going to be pretty. (laughs) But none none of that happened in any way. So, yeah, the Sarnia rink, uh, that was was crazy. And speaking of people behind the bench, you know, I I can't not talk to two kids. Guys. Pete DeBoer, yeah. (laughs) No, 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 no. Pete and I had our battles. There's no question. I actually threw a water bottle at him once. Um, I got suspended. He did. But and no, I used to, I used to love hate going into Kitchener. Love going in there because my family was close. You know, people would come, 
watch, whatever. Great atmosphere, great rink, and great teams, obviously. But when we had bad teams, I hated going in there because there was this guy that sat behind the bench of the visitors. God rest his soul, I think he's passed away now. Anyways, he was ruthless. I mean ruthless. And he would chirp, and he would chirp. And I, I would engage him because I wanted him to stay off my players. Well, that didn't work. And he, he would have some great one-liners. And then one time I said, we had just won in Erie, I think in 2002. We're in there in 2003. We're not a very good team. And I said, I looked at him and said, listen, talk to me when you win something. Because they hadn't won anything then. Well, within a year or two, he, I think it might have been the very next year. He goes, uh, Dave, can I talk to you now? Because you had won. I go, yeah, I guess so. <laughs> so. Anyways, you know, it's just some stories about some fans, and uh, you know, the Kitchener rink was always was always fun to go into. Uh, I'm sure he deserved it, but uh, why did <laughs> you throw the water bottle at Pete? <laughs> well, again, he might remember it a little different, but we're <laughs> we were in Erie, and it was exhibition, and you know, he came with a short. Uh, you know, a short staff team. And I had a short staff team, meaning only probably 14, 15 skaters. And, and, you know, Pete and I used to talk before games and that and everything was fine. And then once we get in, in the game, it's like game on and there's no friends or no nothing. And, you know, I kind of said to him, Hey Pete, what do you think? Like, let's just, you know, last exhibition game, get through the exhibition game, you know, no shenanigans, uh, you know, and he goes, yeah, yeah, no problem. So I think, I, I don't remember which guy it was for Kitchener, but it was one of their tough guys. Near the end of the game, goes after, I, I think it was Corey Packer or Brad Boys or somebody, and I go, seriously? Like, this just happened? So I looked at him, and him and I, him and I had some great arguments through the glass and sometimes almost over the glass. Um, I just looked at him, and I, I grabbed the water bottle, just a little one, and I just lobbed it over the glass at him. <laughs> and he picked it up, and he fired it back pretty good at me. <laughs> so, the you know, Branchy didn't like that too much. and Suspended me and didn't suspend Pete, but that's okay. <laughs> that's great. Uh, <laughs> on the theme of heated coaches, when you went to Tampa Bay, there was a guy there named Terry Crisp. <laughs> Did you ever see him get heated? Uh, I didn't see him walk the boards or throw anything on the ice, but, uh, you know, a funny story with, uh, with Crispy is he came out, his son, Jeff was our marketing guy in Peterborough, uh, the years that we were there and, and Crispy was out of the playoffs. So he came up with him and his wife, Sheila to, to watch the Memorial cup. And I'm, you know, I'm sitting in my office and I don't know, Chris, you know, Terry at all. Jeff hadn't introduced me not. In walks Terry Crisp into my office, just sits down, starts talking to me. I go, okay, uh, you know, just talk hockey. Says, you know, what's your plans for tonight? How are you going to fork check? What's your D's on? Like all this stuff. And I mean, so he leaves and next day, same thing. You know, <laughs> then he'd meet me and says, yeah, that was a good, good game, you know, and all this stuff. So anyways, long story short there is he calls Jeff and says, do you think Dave's ready for the NHL? And I'd only been coaching three years as a head coach in the OHL. And Jeff goes, oh, yeah, he's ready. So Crispy calls me and says, you want to come to Tampa? And I go, oh, yeah. <laughs> like, Hello. And, he, and I said, but don't you want to interview me? And he goes, 
what do you think I was doing in your office every day when I was at the Memorial Cup? So anyways, uh, once we got down there, uh, you know, he told me before I went, he said, Dave, he was in a little bit of a power struggle with, uh, with Phil and Tony and the owners. And, and he said, we could be here one year. We could be here 10 years. I said, that's okay. You know, it's great, great experience for me. And uh, I really love it. And, you know, he, he was, he was as honest as they come with, with players. And, uh, you know, he had to, you know, fudge a little truth once in a while to some of the guys that couldn't handle it. But first day at uh, training camp, he, you know, we're there, you know, an hour and a half, a couple hours before we start. And he goes, got any drills? And I go, well, yeah. He says, well, good. Cause you're running practice. <laughs> uh, really? Like, come on. He goes, Hey, you're either going to sink or swim. And you know what, as it turned out, it was, it was probably the best thing he could have done for me. And we had an older group there, Dino Cicerelli, Sean Burr, Brian Bradley. Uh, they were an older group. So they, they were really good to me, but crispy, he was, I will say it was like two different people game crispy away from the game crispy and like his his shirts would be soaked during a game from sweat and uh he was up and down the bench and like he was engaged he was engaged and there wasn't anybody more prepared to guarantee that but again away from the game you wouldn't know it was the same person we hear a lot from guys that have played in those Sunbelt areas, right? LA, <laughs> Florida, Tampa, et cetera. As the coach, you, you said you traded Peterborough for Tampa. Not a bad upgrade in terms of lifestyle, certainly climate. What's it like as a coach in that spot? You know what? Uh, it's everyone thinks you're on the golf course all the time. I think Crispy and I may maybe played golf four or five times tops. You know, we were obviously we were battling to try and get in the playoffs and everything. So, you know, you don't feel that you should be on the golf course when you should be at the rink or at home working to try and find a way to win some hockey games. So uh, I think we went down there. And when I say we, there's my wife and three children under the age of five. Uh, the hottest summer on record. We moved down in the first part of August and the winter wasn't any better. It was hot, mild, humid. Uh, the kids wouldn't go outside to play. You'd literally go from your air conditioning house to your swimming pool in the backyard to your air conditioned car. It was so hot and muggy and everything. And, uh, you know, I, I give my wife a lot of credit for dealing with three kids under the age of five because in Tampa at that time, I think it's still the same way. We'd go on the road for two, two and a half weeks at a time. Now, mind you, we'd be home for two and a half weeks, but as a coach, you're not really home. Uh, so, uh, you know, we'd be gone a lot. and It was really tough on her, you know, because uh, it was so hot um, and dealing with, you know, three, three young children. But, uh, you know, for me, I loved going to the rink in short sleeves and shorts and I didn't have a fancy convertible like some of the players did, but I rolled the windows down. You, you liked the weather so so much in uh, Tampa, you decided to go to Erie next. <laughs> <laughs> you figured it's still south of the Canadian yeah. border, so what the hell, right? Erie, PA well, sounds like a great spot. <laughs> well, yeah. It, uh, you know what? We loved Erie. We loved Erie. I still, 
or we still have great friends there um, that we, well, in non-COVID times, usually get together once or twice a year. Um, but yeah, that that's, I, I got home. I still had a year and a left, a year and a half left on my contract in Tampa. And I was a little bit cocky. I go, I'll get a job. I got lots of time. Well, as the first year went by and my paychecks are still coming in, I'm going, okay, maybe I should start getting out there a little bit. Instead of, we had a cottage down in Long Point instead of just hanging out at the beach and stuff. And, you know, so I started going to some games in London. Uh, actually, Gary Agnew, I think at the time was a coach. So I, I knew Gary and I called him up and, and said, can you just, you know, can you get me a couple of tickets? Uh, I, you know, I, I don't have a job. And, you know, so he'd always set me up. And, and uh, I remember it, like, I was going into the last two weeks on my contract of getting paid and heard that Paul Terrio was leaving Erie to go back home to Sarnia. And it was the only job left anywhere. So I called Sherry. I didn't know Sherry from a hole in the ground, uh, except who he was. And uh, they had a team in Erie. And, uh, and fortunately for me, you know, we hit it off and, and he hired me and uh, we went down there, but uh, it was, it was touch and go. And I don't, I don't wait that long anymore. I kind of get back on the horse right away. And <laughs> especially as you get up in age, you know, it's a little more difficult to find those jobs, but no Erie and, and it was, it reminded me a lot of uh, Peterborough. You know, they, they hadn't had much success. Uh, they were building through the draft. And my first year, I remember, well, we played before they renovated the rink uh, right beside the ballpark, which is still there. But our office, the coach's office was in the baseball team's room. And then the dressing room was another room down the hall. And I remember, you know, I'm going, okay, something's got to happen. My assistant coach was Peter Sidorkovich, and he was kind of filling me in on what's going on there the last few years. And we had like three older guys that walked into my office, and I knew they'd been out before, and the night before. And, and you know, I questioned them, and, and it, fortunately, they weren't great players. And I, I you know, asked him, you know, what'd you do last night? Oh, nothing. We're home watching a movie. Yeah. yeah. Oh, okay. Well, grab your bag and get the F out of my office and get the F off my hockey club. Cause you were no longer an area otter. Cause you just lied to me. And it kind of set the tone. I didn't know how Sherry would react, but it kind of set the tone. Thank God. Like I said, it wasn't Brad boys, or I probably wouldn't <laughs> have said that to Boise, but uh, anyways, then we, you know, that first year it was okay. Second year, we won the Robertson Trophy, uh, lost to Plymouth. We couldn't beat Plymouth to save our lives. Thank God, in our third year there, London beat Plymouth out in the first round. We played London in the second round. That's and then we went on to uh, uh, the Memorial Cup in Guelph that year. So, but I, we loved Erie, really did. And but you know, I'll tell you, <laughs> and, and I and. Like I said, I've got I've got family that are Americans. I've got very good friends that are Americans. But I'm at the gas station heading back across around through Buffalo over to Long Point at the end of the year and pull up to get gas. And you can see the lake. The lake's right there. And 
some guy, I don't know where he's from. Obviously, you know, he, he had American plates on, but it doesn't really matter. He goes, uh, oh, you're Canadian. I go, yeah. He goes, uh, Ontario. I go, yeah. He goes, where is that? I go, well, you, you see that land on the other side of that lake? That would be Ontario. He goes, I often wondered what was over there. <laughs> True story. True story. Now, I don't know if the guy's been drinking or not, but, <laughs> and like I said, I have some very, very good friends that are Americans and very intelligent people too. So, but it, it was, it was just, it was a different world. It was a different world, but we loved it. And I'd spent a lot of my playing career in the States. So I, I was used to it. That might be the best non-hockey OHL story we've had yet. Yeah, that was perfect. <laughs> You, you talk about Erie, and I, I, I was curious about it, too, because I've always found it a unique place to go to. Really, the, all, all the U.S. teams are, because it's just it's a different vibe. Hawk, uh, hockey is second to, to football on Friday nights. The high school football is big, all that stuff. But in, in your time in Erie, they were still, you know, just coming out of that infancy stage. They had the glass bangers there doing their thing. They had... They, Corey Pecker and the the tradition when he would score like I mean the, the fan and I remember buck a beer night and discount hot dog nights it's just what was it like in that atmosphere as a coach oh you know I talked earlier about going into Kitchener and the atmosphere in there with the you know the, the way the rink was set up and everything but I don't think I'd ever been as a player a coach a fan in a louder building than in Erie because, you know, the, the stands were aluminum. The glass shook back and forth 10 feet either side. And the people, most of them were indulging way before the hockey game. Like, they would tailgate. Uh, you know, that was, you know they're football people, right? So why not tailgate for hockey? And, uh, but, yeah, and certainly as the years went on, the, the second year was better than the first year. And obviously the third year we were selling that building out. And I think for the final game against Barry in that third year in 2002, the ring sold out in like 20 minutes. Um, and so you got to imagine 6,000, you know, people that maybe have had a couple pops already going in there. We got a chance to win the championship at our home rink and you could not hear yourself think and you know, thank God the, the sex stores had sold out of these so-called Corey Pecker toys <laughs> because if 6,000 people were going to throw those on the ice to be scored, we were in trouble, but it was crazy, crazy. And the atmosphere, like I said, it was, it was just fantastic. I, and like I said earlier, I'm loud. The players couldn't even hear me. It was that loud. And from the time we stepped on the ice for warm up until probably two hours after the game, it just never stopped. They're outside honking their horns. And, and, and you talk about, you know, you're, you're right. Like the football teams get 10,000 people for high school football. And, you know, I remember driving to the rink in that third year when we had a chance to win and, and people would be honking at me and I'd look over and they'd roll down their window and said, good luck tonight, coach. So, you know, I didn't even live in here. I lived about 20 minutes outside in a place called Northeast but people started to recognize people. And then obviously, you know, what Chris Knobloch did there and the three years he had, and uh, it, it's a hockey town. Now there's no question. You played in a hockey town, you coached in like, obviously you're coming from an Ottawa 67, one of the prestige clubs. 
And then, you know, you're coaching in Peterborough, you're in the national league. And then all of a sudden you find yourself behind a bench in Erie. What is going through your mind? The first time you saw a sex toy fly, from, fly from, I need to ask fly from the fans onto the ice. Cause you hear the story and you're like, Oh, that's kind of funny. But I want to know as a, as a coach who's been like Ottawa, Peterborough, the national league dildos. I, you know what? And, and I listened to you you're talking to Sanaya. Sanaya and I are very good friends. Uh, and I'm surprised she didn't go down that road, tell that story, because every time her and I talk, uh, and she, she's been out here to Halifax to my place out here, and we had lunch. And every time we talk, we, we go back to that story. But, you know, I don't think we knew what was going on. You know, and then all of a sudden, one of the players bring one back to the bench. <laughs> and then it's like, oh. Okay, Corey Becker just scored. Now we got it. Okay, so the funny thing is the players, like, they'd literally, there'd be hundreds of them on the ice when he scored, and he scored a lot. And and the players, or somebody would grab him, and they'd take him into the dressing room after the game. So we go into Guelph for the Memorial Cup, and in the middle of the dressing room, there's a steel beam. And I walk in before the first game and they're all posted on this steel beam and I'm going seriously so needless to say after the games were over we had to get the trainer to go in there and hang towels and wrap towels around this beam because the tv cameras are coming in but but it was it was it I think they even made t-shirts up with it like pecker power and 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 literally we were told the stores had none left. That's great. It's, it is. It's incredible <laughs> stuff. Uh, we talked about Tui as the GM in Peterborough, and you mentioned his name. And of course, he's been a guest on the podcast. We think actually he's still talking. We just stopped recording. But, <laughs> uh, he's, a good, he's a good storyteller. He really like. is, and he's he's a he's a gem of a human yeah, too. But yeah. uh, Sherry Basson, as your uh, executive, as you're coaching the Erie Otters, what was the relationship like? You know what? Uh, it was great. It was great in the beginning, um, and as as we know, like I said earlier, we all have shelf lives. Um, and I get a little stubborn, uh, as my career goes on. And, and like I said, I've been very fortunate, you know, I left Peterborough on my own after three years, obviously got fired in Tampa, um, was in Erie for seven, was in Sarnia for five in Austria for seven more at the same team. So, you know, you, you kind of get set in your ways. And that's one thing I've learned. Now, when I went to Austria, I said to my wife, I said, you know, I've, I've got to stop being an in-your-face guy when things aren't going the way you want them to go. And, you know, for five years, it was good. And then we didn't have, we didn't have a very good team in year six and seven. Um, and, you know, uh, I, I couldn't get them to, to, to win. I couldn't develop them at that point. And it was time to change. And, and Bass knew that. Um, you know, we, we parted on, on good terms again. We met uh, cordially um, after, had, had dinner together. And, you know, I, I found Bass wasn't around. I think he alluded to it on your on your podcast. Uh, the, the last couple of years, he had a lot going on with his daughter. Um, I also, you know, think uh, he was in the running to buy the Buffalo Sabres at one point. Um, so he had a lot going on. And, uh, you know, he wasn't around as much. 
when he was around the first four or five years, it, I'd be stupid not to, to listen to him and, and take his advice and everything. But he was, again, he was like Jeff. He wasn't a micromanager. He let the coaches coach. He hired people to do their job. And if you did your job, you were fine. If you didn't do your job, he was going to tell you. And I'm okay with that. I'm okay with that. So, you know, I haven't talked to Bass for, for a long time when I went over to Austria, but uh, you know, like I said, we, we left on good terms, had dinner together. He just said, Dave, you know, we're not going to renew your contract. I said, I know it's time. It's time for me to move on. It's time for you guys to move on too. And you know, that was kind of the way we left it. But you know, at, at, in the beginning, when we were when we were winning, uh, he'd come down. Like he'd be down there for almost every home game, and I'm going, "Holy macro!" But it was funny. You know, I got, like, I got to tell a Sherry Bassett story because, you know, there was there was times when you know he couldn't make it down, snowstorms, what he was out scout, whatever. And then you know, Peter and I would be sitting in our office, and go, "Oh, there's Sherry," because he'd call every day. So we actually got a picture of Sherry and posted it on the back of our phone. So we knew who we were talking to every night. So, um, because he just wasn't around as much when we were going through those bad years and out scouting, trying to find new players and everything. So, you know, we, we had a little bit of fun with that too. So obviously you mentioned that, uh, your contract wasn't renewed in Erie. Then you go to Sarnia and there's a player there, your first season by the name of Steven Stamkos. <laughs> what was it like coaching a kid like that? Uh, I didn't have to coach him. <laughs> I, you know, I, I'd like to say, you know, I put him in the National Hockey League, but, you know, he, there was the thing that the thing that sets Stammer apart from a lot of guys is the, the quality of person he is. You would not, he, he, you know, first overall pick, um, I go in there, you know, Dino Cicerelli is one of the owners, you know, the hockey hall of famer, you know, and here comes Stammer. He comes in with his family and the politest people you ever want to meet in your life. And we're walking around the top of the rink and, you know, trying to, you know, give him the lay of the land. And, you know, there was no question he was coming to play for us. Uh, and then you just watch him play. and Very, very coachable. If you told him something, he, he was coachable. There was no, no denial on his part or no, you know, I'm too good for this or whatever. He, he was very coachable. Um, unfortunately we, we knew he'd probably only be there for two years, which again, in junior hockey, you lose your first round pick after two years, then, you know, you're rebuilding again. And we seem to be really rebuilding every year in, in Sarnia. So, but uh, the two years with him, uh, you know, we actually, made it out of the first round of the playoffs his second year, which that organization hadn't done uh, up until that point. I don't, I don't know if they've done it since. So, uh, but you know, the type of person that Stammer is, you know, when I, when I got, when I got fired in Sarnia, um, my wife says, you know what, just get away. Cause I was pretty beat up. I, I, I was beat up and things didn't go real well. A lot of stuff going on behind the scenes sort of thing. And, and my wife says, go down to Florida. You know, your sister's got a place down there. And, you know, call call Stammer up, see if, you know, go to a game or whatever. And, you know, I get down there, call. You want a ticket, Mac? Yep. Yeah, that'd be great. Oh, thanks. Okay. You know, the year before that, 
took my family down there at Christmas because, you know, in the OHL, you get those long breaks. And, you know, we drive down there. I call Stammer up and he goes, uh, how many? Five? Yep, no problem. We'll call. Like, you know, he's just that type of guy that never forgot where he came from. Um, great upbringing um, from his parents. And, and I was fortunate that when they retired his jersey, they asked me to say a little thing on, uh, I was in Austria at the time and did a little thing with our TV guy over there and showed it on the screen. So it was, that was a special moment for me to, to be part of that for him. When you think back on the Ontario hockey league, those junior days, the, the bus trips, uh, the, the competitive, you know, win it's all about winning, right? You're measured by wins and losses. What's the grind like as a coach? You know what? I, I think I was fortunate. Um, I didn't mind the bus rides. Uh, you know, we obviously being in, in, uh, in Erie, uh, we had some long trips, uh, but you know, Bass took care of us good. We, if anything was longer than four hours, we'd go the day before. It was very, very professionally run. Uh, Sarnia, unless we went east, you know, our trips weren't that bad. But I, I, I have no problem sleeping anywhere. <laughs> I can sleep in a chair, on a plane, on a bus. And I used to kind of like going on the bus because, you know, my family was young and, you know, I didn't get a lot of sleep sometimes when I was home because I was trying to help my wife out. But uh, so I didn't mind. I didn't mind the bus trips and, and in Austria and in Romania. Like we go to, we go from uh, Brasov to Budapest on a bus and it's, we travel at night. Be, it's not a sleeper bus, although everyone's trying to sleep uh, because the roads in Romania for the first hundred kilometers are just single lane until you get into Hungary when they're double lane, but it's still a long trip. It takes us 10, 10 hours to get to Budapest. Um, and you know, you just, I think you get used to it. Um, I've never had a problem with the bus. You know, I, you know, nowadays before you used to have the TVs at the front of the bus and you'd throw a VC, VCR in and, or a DVD and whatever, and boys would watch slap shot and, you know, the old classics, but, uh, you know, now everyone's got their own tablets and their own computers and I just download shows and, you know, since I've been in Europe, I do everything myself. Uh, you know, I break down the games, I break down the videos, uh, all that stuff. So I, I get to do a lot of work on the bus too. And a lot of the buses, um, not so much in Romania, but in Austria, they were double deckers. Players were up top. Coaches were down low. We had a fridge down there. We had a coffee machine. We had the washroom. We had tables, back to back chairs. So it was very, uh, it was, it was traveling uh, in luxury over there. So, uh, you know, buses are buses. I prefer to fly, but, you know, sometimes flying's not all cracked up to be either. You got to get to the airport two hours before, you sit around and do nothing, you get on the plane, then you get it off the plane. And yeah, so there's pros and cons to it all. I got it. I kind of miss, sorry, Chris, but those, those old days on the bus, Mac, when like, cause there was a, there was an energy to it. There was a, there was a, a team sense to it when the movie was on for the entire bus i kind of like it's so quiet these days i say to popper sometimes it's like it's just it's different maybe yeah. I, maybe that's just me showing my age but i kind of no. missed that oh no, you're you're bang on you're bang on like it you know but you know it's a generation now right it's, ah. it's what they it's what they do they're on their phones all the time and on their computers all the time and you're you're right i i do miss that too that's a great point um 
you know, because guys would be hooting and hollering at the movies and, you know, you'd throw on, I remember in Peterborough, the year one, they'd, they'd be blasting the music after games and, um, you know, so it was. And, and now, you know, you know funny, funny thing is, and I can't remember who told me this. Uh, it might have been, I, I still watch a lot of the coaching symposiums online now, obviously, because you can't go. But one of the NHL coaches said, you know, in his day, you know, you used to get so mad after a loss. And nowadays, it's like 10 minutes after the game, these guys have forgotten all about it. And you're sitting at the front of the bus stewing about it. Might have been Kevin Hitchcock. And, and he says, that's one of the things you got to learn to let go because these guys aren't going to change. And literally, it's still the same. It's, it's the way over there, too. I get on the bus and we just crap the bed and I'm fuming. And I just want to wring somebody's neck. And I look back and oh, they're on their phones or on their computers or laughing away. And I'm going, seriously? Like, <laughs> but it, it's just the way they, it's the way they're, they're built nowadays, I guess. I like the olden days too, but I'm always on my phone. So I can't really say anything. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> well, you're in the media. You have to be on your phone. I, that's exactly right. Um, you mentioned that now over in Romania, you're doing all the, the heavy lifting, if you will, you know, breaking down video and all that stuff. Do you still like that? Oh yeah. You know, yeah. it's, it's great. And, and I, I'll be honest. I, sometimes I got out of it a little bit when I had an assistant coach that took that over and, and he'd do it. And obviously he'd show it to you and you'd, you'd go over it at the end of the day and the end of the night and, and try and pick out your clips and all that. But, uh, you know, I was by myself over in Romania this year, obviously my wife couldn't travel over there. She could, but then she'd have to isolate when she came back. So we decided it was best that she didn't come over and it gave me something to do. And, especially my first year in the league, you got to, you have to get to know the league because the Hungarian league, they've got, they've got a pretty good program there and they've got some pretty good players. And, you know, probably out of the seven teams in Hungary, you know, four or five of them are pretty good. Um, so it gave me a chance to get to know the players a little bit through video. And like I said earlier, it, literally my team, um, we had uh, 12 guys on my team that play on the Romanian national team. Now that doesn't mean a lot, but they did move up to the, the division right below the big boys uh, last year. So they, they, they've got to be able to play the game um, in the one a, or I don't know how, how they categorize the world championships, but you know, I had to do a lot of teaching this year just on simple things, you know, breakouts off of face-off wins. What are you going to do off face-off losses? Uh, neutral zone, um, you know, how to play above the puck, above the man, you know, just things that North Americans are taught early on. Over there, they're just, it's like some guys just throw a puck on the ice and say, go get it. Um, so, you know, we were a pretty structured team this year, which I think helped us in the end. Um, but, you know, back to your original question, yeah, the video was was huge for me and you know I'd go to practice in the morning go home have some lunch do some video have a little nap nothing else to do get up do some more video have dinner watch a show go to bed <laughs> I miss game day naps I can't believe I'm saying that but honestly like it's it's the ritual when we're on the road need the nap in the pregame absolutely <laughs> I'm, hey I'm still doing it in quarantine here why not <laughs> 
I woke up about 20 minutes before this podcast. I'm oh, nice, on. nice. <laughs> well, you, Mac, you did your hair good, so that's yeah. good. Thanks, Mac. I appreciate that. <laughs> you you described yourself earlier as uh, boisterous. There's no question you've always been on the fiery side behind the bench. What's the angriest you can remember being at a referee? Oh, you know what? <laughs> I was thinking about it. I mean, when we talked about doing the podcast, I'm thinking, okay, you know, I, I got to have some stories here. Like, I just can't go on there and talk. And <laughs> so I don't know if it was the angriest, but it might have been one of the funniest. Um, I believe it was Tim Peel. Okay. I was going to say, was it Joe Park? But anyway, we'll do. <laughs> I just like to pick on Joe. Oh, I, you know, you, you talk about Park, you talk about Hutch, you, you sure. know, all these guys. Um, you know, I'll, I'll get to that in a minute, but I'm in Sarnia. And Tim, again, I hope I'm right that it was him, but I, you could ask Terry Doyle in Sarnia. He, he remembers it. Um, anyways, so something's going on. And I, I yelled something at him. And he, he's a rookie in the league. Maybe his first first game, second game, third, I don't know. First season for sure. Skates over to the bench and goes, Steve, what's wrong? I go, I go, Steve? He goes, yeah, Steve, what's wrong? I go, you don't even know my effing name. Don't ever talk to me again. So, so that was, that was, that was that. Um, but it seems like Sarnia had a lot. It seems like Sarnia had a lot of things. Cause I remember we were in there. I was with Erie. We're in there and Sarnia was loaded the one year they had, they had a good team. Um, they actually finished ahead of us. We beat them uh, in, in the playoff round, but I remember grabbing the door on the bench and just slamming it. Slam. I bet you I slammed this thing 20 times. And it was hard. I'm surprised it didn't fall off his hinges. And I didn't get thrown out, which was amazing. Because the photographer, the Sarnia photographer, who I got to know once I coached there, he's standing in the belly or in that area between the benches, just click, 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 click. My <laughs> wife's got a photo album of me slamming this bench. Like it's in real time. But yeah, anyways, you know what? I think, I think the, I don't know when it happened. Cause I was, I was stupid on the bench. Sometimes I, you know, I was just, I wasn't a nice person, I guess, um, to the refs and, you know, eventually it got to a point and Priz, I don't know if you remember Priz. Oh, um, <laughs> Prizzy, you could never get to talk when he was an official, but now you can't get him yeah. to shut up. Oh, <laughs> Priz and I had it, had it going a few times and, and, you know, he'd skate by the bench and he'd tell me to F off and I'd tell him to F off and then it was done. You know, it was, it was, it was over. And, and I think, you know, they've done such a good job. Like, it's a tough job. And, I, you know, I, I always knew it was a tough job. I just didn't realize how tough it was. And, and I, you know, the good refs, uh, and there's a lot of them, and there's some not so good ones, but the good ones would disengage, try and get you disengaged from being upset. They would come over and talk to you. And you don't have an argument if somebody's, you're not going to sit there and yell and scream at somebody if they're, if they're standing right by the bench. And, and I'd say, you know, that was offside or you missed that high stick. And he goes, you're right, Dave, I missed it. Okay. So 
what do I say to that? <laughs> like, I can't say anything. I said, okay, then <laughs> let's carry on. You know? So, you know, the, the good ones would come over. Brad Beer was another guy. Uh, him and I had our battles, but you know, at the end he, he would come over and talk and it, it's funny because when my son was in Windsor and I was in between jobs, we'll call it, uh, I'd go down to Windsor and watch the games and, you know, yeah, I'd, I'd eventually make it over to, to Boogie and, and DJ's office for a beer after the game, but I'd always stop in and talk to the refs after if I knew them, you know, they'd be sitting in there and, you know, some of them, we, we developed pretty good rapport. Throughout this hour-long conversation here, we've mentioned a ton of names. We talked about Bobby Smith. We talked about Felino Hunter, um, Boys. We talked about. We haven't mentioned Cameron Mann, who was with the Peterborough. Um, we talked about Stammer. Who's the player over your time in the Ontario Hockey League that stands out to you? If I were to ask you, who is the best player you've seen either played with or coached in the Ontario Hockey League? Wow, you know what. Uh there's been a lot and I, I would hate, I know how many followers you guys have. Three. <laughs> Maybe, I was going to say six, Pope, but I'm short sell it. Well, so, we're talking to one of them right now. So yeah, yeah. five others. Right. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, I, I, I'd hate to miss anybody. There, there were so many, like, like we talked about Bobby Smith, all the guys you just mentioned, but you know, Cameron man was another guy, 27 goals in the, the playoffs that one year. Um, another guy that, Reminded me a lot of Stammer was Brad Boyce. I I loved Brad Boyce. He was he was a leader, uh, very very well educated, very smart. Didn't need to play in the National Hockey League. Could have went on to do whatever he wanted to, um, you know. So he 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 was one of my favorites. But you know you know what I'm really uh, a little bit more proud of, I guess is. The Sean Thorntons, um, the Matt Martins. Um, Matt Martin was a walk-on in Sarnia. He was playing junior C down, I think, in Wallaceburg or someplace. Called Al Miller up and said, can I, can I come uh, for a tryout? And we, we had just lost somebody during training camp or somebody wasn't going to show up. He says, yeah, come up. Well, we're sitting up there. This guy had no skill. Like, <laughs> literally, uh, I'm telling you, he, he, he literally had no skill. But... He ran over everybody. And we kind of looked at each other and go, this guy's got to be on our team. And I tell you what, if you had to send Sean Thornton and Matt Martin were going to play in the National Hockey League the first year I saw them both play, I'd say, you got a better chance of playing in the National Hockey League. But they worked, and they were so dedicated. They were in the gym all the time. And, and you know, I, I feel good that I had a small, small part of helping those guys realize their dreams. Cause you know, those are the guys we all know Steven Stamkos is going to play in the NHL. You all know, Brad boy is going to play in the NHL, Bobby, all these guys, but it's those guys, the underdogs that nobody really realizes what they went through to get to where they're at. We're getting to that point in the podcast where Chris just says, Oh wait, one, one more, just one more. Uh, but before <laughs> we, before we get to his one more, there's a name I want to throw out here, but it's not, uh, from on the ice, but you've made reference to her a number of times. Newborn during the 96 run, three kids under five while you're in Tampa in that crazy hot summer. Uh, couldn't make it over to Romania because of COVID this past year, but clearly been there with you the whole way. And that, of course, is is Nancy. And, and the challenge is, Mac, of you know, doing what you do and having that support system at home. Incredible. Incredible. 
Um, you know, uh, it's, I think we're going on, she's, she's going to listen to this too. Um, <laughs> Get it right. Uh, it's either 32 or 33 years. Oh boy. And you know, Hey, we've had our ups and downs, uh, no question, but I wouldn't be able to do what I've done without her support. She, she literally gave up her career to follow mine. You know, she had a great job in London at the uh, Robart School for the Blind. Uh, she's a child and youth worker, um, very passionate about kids. And, you know, we went to Peterborough. She got a, a job uh, in Coburg at a, at a group home. Um, so, you know, for her to give up her career, raise our family a lot of times by herself, um, you know, like I said, I wouldn't be able to have done what I've done. Uh, without her support and and her encouragement and her kicking the ass once in a while to tell me quit feeling sorry for yourself go and win a hockey game you know so you know she's very good with the uh, mental part of the game and then literally I I run a lot of things by her to this day you know I'm having trouble with somebody and she'll give me suggestions on how to deal with it so yeah it's uh, you know we, we've we're very fortunate we have three great children um, very close family probably because of all the traveling around we did kids weren't happy with us a few times moving at the beginning of the summer, having no friends, but it sure, it sure bonded us uh, real good. And, and I, like I say, I owe a lot to my wife, Nancy, and, and it, I'll, I'll give you a short, funny story. Um, unless we've got to go. Uh, oh gosh. So we're in quarantine here. Right. And I think I can tell you guys in Ontario, the police RCMP aren't going to come and get me, but so we're in quarantine and I'm on the second floor and she, she'll come by around 5.30, 6 o'clock every night for cocktail hour. And I lower down her glass of wine in a bag. <laughs> she has her lawn chair. I stand on my balcony. She sits in her chair because she can't be with me during quarantine unless she quarant isolates with me for two weeks. And she actually works uh, for a family uh, right now. So she didn't want to do that. And I said, no, why would you? So we actually uh, see each other a little bit. We haven't been able to hug or kiss or anything like that, but at least we get to see each other. And uh, uh, some of the neighbors kind of look at us like, okay, what's he lowering down this time? Is it a beer <laughs> or a wine? Whatever. So yeah, it's, it's worked. It's worked very well. I don't even want to ask a question after that story. That's just <laughs> right. Come on. Like, come on here. That's adorable. Cyrano de Bergerac on the balcony, lowering wine right. down to his mistress. I that's, tell you, that's great. That's the, that's the softer, gentler side of yeah. being a queen. I was going right. to say, where was this back when I knew you in the home? Come on. You know, you know what? It's funny. Back to a story in Erie. I used to go into the rock and roll station once a week on Monday mornings. And these guys were crazy like literally crazy. And they do these skits with me. And one of them was the softer, gentler side of Dave McQueen. They'd ask me questions. Is it this or is it this? I can't remember what they were, but, and, and people, I was just, I was, I was on the floor laughing myself and people would listen to it and go, are you serious? The softer, gentler side of Dave McQueen? <laughs> Nobody knew it existed till now. That's right. That is that's great. right. That's right. But I will ask a question. Um, okay. <laughs> finally, I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, but 400 plus wins in the Ontario Hockey League. A, a king right now in Romania after that championship. <laughs> it, do you still want to 
get back into the Ontario Hockey League, or are you content with 400-plus wins? You know what? I, I think I'm three games shy of 1,000 games. And that, you know, I know you ask, how do you remember that? Well, somebody reminds me of that uh, uh, once in a while. Um, and I think Sanaya said something at the time when I did get fired in Sarnia that they couldn't have waited three more games, <laughs> you know. But, yeah, I, I would love to come back to North America. Um, I've actually probably applied for 95% of the junior jobs in Canada. <laughs> but I also understand the dynamics. Um, I actually talked to Mike McKenzie uh, when they let uh, uh, the, the last coach go. I called him up right away. I was in between jobs out here. And, and he said, well, they were going to take the time. And, you know, everyone was telling me that he would probably take over. And I've talked to the Mooseheads every time they fire their coach, which is just about every year. Um, <laughs> but, you know, they, they, they go with the NHL guys and the, the younger guys. So I, I get that. Um, I still think I have a lot to offer. Uh, if the opportunity ever became available, I would probably jump at it. I am very happy in Europe. Uh, never in my wildest dreams uh, would I have thought I'd step outside my comfort zone. And believe me, going to Europe by myself was stepping outside my comfort zone. Um, so, yeah, uh, now that I've been there, it's great people. The hockey is fantastic. Um, it's always nice to win. Doesn't matter uh, if it's the OHL or Romania. Uh, it's, it's been since 2002. So uh, I certainly enjoyed myself uh, when we did win this year. And uh, that, like I said, if the opportunity came up, I'd certainly look at it. I know you said that uh, you're in quarantine, so you got nothing better to do than talk to a couple of <laughs> lug nuts like us, but uh, you've been gracious with your time, Mac. It's a lot of fun catching up and congrats again on the success, obviously in Romania. And thanks so much for doing this with us. Well, thanks, uh, Mike, Chris. Uh, thanks for having me on. I, I was looking forward to this the first time you, you messaged me and uh, uh, it was a lot of fun. Hi, I'm Logan Anderson, host of the Say the Damn Score podcast. On my show, I deep dive into the sports broadcasting business by, you guessed it, talking to sportscasters. The show has featured big names like Bob Costas, Kenny Albert, and Vern Lundquist, as well as many up-and-coming broadcasters who you may not know yet, but you will know soon. Whether you're looking for professional development as a sportscaster, different career paths, or if you just want to be entertained by hearing some of the best storytellers in the world tell their own stories, this podcast is for you. You can subscribe to the podcast on all major podcast platforms, or you can visit our website, saythedamnscore.com. Another Sound Off Media Company podcast.